So today I am going to kind of be dovetailing off of what Seth talked about last week when um, he talked about the the source of truth and the Holy Spirit living in our hearts. And our hearts are these complicated things and all that. So I am going to just kind of, kind of pick off and um, start in John 14, 5 through 14, and I'm just going to read it all the way through. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the work themselves. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. So, this takes me to the title of my sermon that I did not come across until a few hours ago. Um, and the irony behind my title is that this statement has been a big question mark and frustration and mystery and, like, turmoil almost that for, honestly, as long as I can remember. And it is you can do miracles. <sighs> miracles are always hard for me to believe in. Um, mainly because I would pray for something to happen. I wanted to see God do something unordinary. I wanted to see him do a miracle. I and I thought that if I could see God do a miracle, I could believe in him. Um, I was probably eight or something, and I actually, I don't think I've ever told anyone this, but I would actually, when I was questioning, is God real? How do I know God is real? Well, I'm going to ask him to do something and see if it happens. So I would sit I remember I'd sit behind the couch in front of our bookshelf and I would grab a toy or a book and I'd say, God, if you're real, make this book cover. And I'd sit there and I would try so hard <laughs> to like make, pray this miracle into existence. Um, where I got that idea, I don't know. But um, anyways, it's something I have like struggled with and I... I even struggled with the fact that God could do miracles because I had a Nana who was sick. I prayed for every, all the time, and we thought she was going to get better, but she ended up dying after six years. And 
I, I was like, why couldn't God have done that? Like, he said that if I ask him in my name, he will do it, <laughs> like, as, as this verse says. So, anyways, this whole thing has actually been a major struggle for me. Um, but I kind of want to, like, back things up a little bit and go into the um, Old Testament a little bit and back to how the temple worked. Seth went over this um, last two weeks ago, but I just want to keep expanding on that and it will get back to what I was talking about. So before I dive in, I have a video that I stumbled across um, kind of explaining what holiness is, what it means, and what it means for us. So Jackson's going to throw it up on there so you guys can see it. You've probably heard the word holy before, or at least sang it in a church song once or twice. And for most people, this idea is really just connected to being a morally good person. So. God is holy because he's morally perfect. Yeah, that is part of it. But in the Bible, the idea of holiness is even bigger and more rich. What it's really describing is how God is the creative force behind the whole universe. He's the one and only being with the power to make a world full of such beauty and life. And so all these abilities, they make God utterly unique, which is the meaning of the word holy. So a helpful way to think about God's holiness is by using the sun as a metaphor. The sun is unique, at least within our solar system, and it's really powerful. It's the source of all this beautiful life on our planet. And so you could say that the sun is holy. And you can actually take this metaphor even further in that the whole area around the sun is also holy. Yeah, because the closer you get to the sun, the more intense it gets. Yeah, exactly. So that very power and goodness that generates all this life is also dangerous. I mean, the sun, if you get too close, will annihilate you. And in the same way, there's this paradox at the heart of God's own holiness, because if you're impure, his presence is dangerous to you. And not because it's bad, but because it's so good. And so the first time we see this paradox of God's holiness, it's in the story of Moses and the burning bush. So God tells Moses to take off his sandals because he's standing on holy ground. And Moses covers his face in fear, and God says, hey, don't come any closer. It's intense. It's actually that intensity of God's holiness that's explored even more in the stories about Israel's temple, which was the main place where God's holy presence was located. And at the center of the temple was this room called the most holy place, this hot spot of God's presence. And whether you're an Israelite living in the land around the temple or a priest working right in the temple, you're in proximity to God's holy presence, which is dangerous. Yeah, this is a problem. So how's it supposed to work? Well, in the Bible, the solution is that you need to become pure. So like being morally pure. Yeah, and that's easy enough to understand. But the Bible spends a lot of time talking about another kind of purity, being ritually pure, which is a state where you separate yourself from anything related to death, like touching things like diseased skin or dead bodies or even certain bodily fluids. All these make you impure. And becoming ritually impure isn't necessarily sinful. What's wrong is waltzing into God's presence when you're in an impure state. 
And so that's why God gave the Israelites very clear instructions for knowing when they were impure, steps to become pure, so that they could go into the temple again. So that's what the book of Leviticus is about. Right. But it doesn't stop there. This idea keeps developing. So later in the scriptures, we find this really interesting story by a prophet named Isaiah. And he has this crazy vision where he's in the temple and he's right in God's presence. He's totally terrified. Yeah, he knows the rules. He shouldn't even be in there. And he's worried about being destroyed. And then this crazy creature called a seraphim. Yeah, that is a crazy creature. (laughs) Totally. So it flies over with a hot coal, and then it sears Isaiah's lips with the coal and says something really weird. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. So this burning coal somehow makes Isaiah pure. Yeah, it's remarkable because normally if you touch something impure, it transfers its impurity to you. But now here's this new idea where you have this coal, this very holy and pure object, and it touches Isaiah and it transfers its purity to him. Isaiah is not destroyed by God's holiness. He's transformed by it. I mean, the implications of this are just huge. But there's one more development. This time from another prophet, Ezekiel. And he has this vision where he's standing at the temple and he sees water trickling out from it. And then that water turns into a stream and then it grows into a deep river that starts flowing through the desert, leaving this trail of green trees behind it. And then it flows into the Dead Sea, making everything fresh and alive. So instead of becoming pure first and then going into the temple, here God's holiness comes out from the temple, making things pure and bringing them to life. What does it all mean? We don't know until we meet this man, Jesus. And he claims that he's fulfilling all of these ancient visions, but in surprising new ways. So Jesus, he went around touching people who are impure, people with skin diseases, a a woman with chronic bleeding or dead people. And when he touches them, their impurity should transfer over to Jesus. But instead, Jesus' purity transfers to them and actually heals their bodies. Jesus is like that holy coal in Isaiah's vision. Right. And Jesus claimed that he was the human embodiment of God's own holiness and that he and his followers were now God's temple so that through them, God's holy presence would go out into the world and bring life and healing and hope. And so this is why Jesus described his followers as having streams of living water flowing out of them. So this is our part of the story where we find ourselves now. But... Where's this all heading? So the last pages of the Bible end with a final vision about God's holiness. This time it's by a guy named John. And in his vision, we see the whole world made completely new. The entire earth has become God's temple. And Ezekiel's river is there, flowing out of God's presence, immersing all of creation, removing all impurity, and bringing everything back to life. So this first part is, I'm just going to call the cleansing process. Um, As you saw in the video, it's a lot of unclean, clean, back in the Leviticus. Um, The video just did it so well that I wasn't even going to try to implicate it. The imagery was so awesome. Um, So basically... It's saying that if you, in the Old Testament, if you were to come in contact with something unclean, it's uncleanliness makes you unclean. And you're unable to enter God's presence. Uh, Not because he 
won't allow it, but because its essence, the essence of holiness is literally too dangerous for your essence. If you have come in contact with something impure or have done something impure, um, anything of that nature. Uh, while I was thinking about this, um, I thought of a, a good example of how you can like kind of picture that, but ever since having a baby and honestly, even now, especially in COVID, my favorite thing has been baths. I never used to take a bath, but I take baths all the time now. And it's pretty hilarious because I typically run pretty warm blooded. Like I overheat really easily and my, I can usually just be cranking with the heat. Um, so when I draw a bath, I love hot baths and I can handle, I can handle some temperature. And every now and then I'll draw Jackson a, a bath and I'll be like, ah, oh, the, how's the water feeling? And I'll be like, ah, oh, it feels great. And I'll be sticking my hand in there and feeling it. Cause you know, my hand's been in there pretty much the whole time. It's been accumulating as the heat's been rising and Jackson comes in and touches it and he's like jumping and, ah, oh, it's hot, it's hot. And because his skin's temperature is so much colder than the bath water. And it's funny because here I am, my hand's been in it and it's feeling warm and my, my body's literally like been accumulating to the level of heat where Jackson's skin has been so cold that if it comes in contact, it's stinging. So even though for me, this bath feels amazing, the warmth, it's so good for the muscles, unless you're accumulated to it, it's literally, it's dangerous. Like the goodness of the warmth is dangerous to your cold skin. It's just to give you a very realistic analogy of that. Um, so we need to go through this accumulation process of being able to enter into holiness. And in the Old Testament, Leviticus gives us all these rituals that are done in order for us to be able to enter into the Holy of Holies. Um, I personally had to go through this in order to be here today. I, uh, you know, Seth Thurman or two weeks ago was all about accessing that that's that pure, the holy of holies within. Because um, as the video showed, like, we've gone through this process of needing a temple to the temple actually being, our, our like, the temple is, we are the temple for God's presence, the Holy Spirit. And it's in us. And even though it's there, you, you still, still have to access it and it's not always easy and it's not always accessible even though it's always there. Um, when I was sitting down to do this sermon I just knew I needed to access that place if I was actually going to bring you anything from God <laughs> because I knew I couldn't do this alone. and. I got to the point where I sat down and I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. And I went outside and I just prayed a simple prayer. I was just like, God, help me bring down my walls. Help me to be more vulnerable and help me to access this place. Guys, the next 
24 hours, I got wrecked. I, I'm not going to go into detail, but between Kaya and my husband bringing out some stuff for me, um, I had to face shame, I had to face anger, I had to face heartache, I had to face pain, I had to face unforgiveness, I had to go through, and, and I knew for a while that all this stuff had been building up, which is why I felt led to pray what I prayed, um, but that stuff, yeah, I knew I had to, like, get through that, and it's not, it's not easy. But there's a reason that we have to do that to get to that place in us. Um, and this kind of brings me to um, something that can be so overpreached and the language so used and um, so cliche about the power of the cross. And I say cliche, it's not. It can just, because we talk about it so much, it can just roll over the head. Um, but Jesus dying on the cross can hold such a deeper layer of significance for us. Um, because now that the Holy of Holies is in us, we need a process just like in the Old Testament with the temple and going through the courts and sacrificing the animal and walking through each of these like rituals in order to get in order to cleanse ourselves to be able to get into the Holy of Holies we also now need a cleansing process for us to get through our temple into our the Holy of Holies the Holy Spirit have access to that um, and it starts with Jesus on the cross um, I don't know how many of you out there have pets or have much experience with animals, but if you have, I grew up on a farm and on acres, so we did hunting, but um, usually if you've had an animal, you've had to have some experience of putting an animal down, whether it's a pet that is suffering or in pain or it's a animal that you're going to use for your next meal, um, unfortunately, and conveniently, grocery stores have kept us removed from this experience more so than previous generations, but uh, it's hard. It's, it's really hard. I had a horse. Um, and she broke her elbow when my brother was riding her and there was no way to fix it. And my dad had to put her down. I couldn't even be present. I, I could not watch it. Even though I knew it was the best thing for her, I couldn't watch it. Now imagine having your animal, perfect health, perfect temperament. There is, in fact, it is the most perfect animal. 
and you have to put it down just because of something wrong you did. Because of you. That animal has to die. Not because it's sick or because it's the best thing for it, but because of what you did that was unclean. That's what the Old Testament was like. This process wasn't just this inhumane process, but it was this experience that God put in place so that we could realize the weight of our sin. So that every time an animal was killed for our wrongdoings, we had to face it. And I'm sure for some people it just became a ritual, but if you can imagine putting down your perfectly innocent, healthy pet, it might actually touch a place in you. Um, and so Jesus dying on the cross became our new cleansing process. Because if we can look on that slain lamb on the cross and truly let our shame go and allow ourselves to feel the pain and love that we can then we can um, let down our walls and it's hard to explain such a personal process I think it's different for everyone but I think it's that emptying and that um, seeing our shame but then able to let it go that allows us to access that place in us um, and also on the cross is when he transferred the power of the hot coal to us, um, like it was shown in the video. I just love that image. Um, and that kind of will bring me, uh, to my second part. Um, I'm just gonna reread the John 14 part, um, Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the work themselves. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. That verse kind of brings me into the next part, um, where we now can transform the unclean. I think that is, I don't want to say the science, that is the part of what Jesus was doing that was so miraculous. Miraculous. <laughs> he was going around and touching all of these people and instead of them contaminating him, which obviously everyone around him during that time was freaked out that that's what was happening. Um, look at the religious leaders' response. Look at the half the crowd's response. Um, they were appalled that Jesus would do this kind of thing. Um, because as far as long as... They're, they've, their people have been alive as long as history has been in place. Like, that is just the rule of things. You touch something unclean, you're unclean. But Jesus is changing that by making the unclean clean by contact. Um, 
I am going to continue through the rest of the chapter. I'm not going to expand a lot on this, but I think it's really important for us to just get the full picture and context. And I know Seth will be going over these same passages um, too. So, yeah, if I leave anything out and don't expand on stuff, it's on purpose. John 14, 15 through 31. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be, or some translations say is, in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, here he goes again, and you are in me, I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. This, there's more, but I will get back to that, but... This part just really struck me where Judas is asking Jesus, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? So here's Jesus with this great message, the Holy Spirit, um, like this transforming way. And I think especially in our times and you know we just want God to just come Jesus just to come back and just reveal himself to the whole world so that people can stop being so dumb and can just see the truth and you just I think we've all been at that place where you just want to shake someone and be like ah don't you get it <laughs> um and I think Judas is like coming to, to himself like why would you just show us to us and not to the whole world like what you have to share is amazing and I feel like everyone would receive it um but Jesus kind of answered his question which is funny he answers his question before he asks it um but he says right after he says that uh the father will give another advocate to help you and be with you forever the spirit of truth the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and is in you. So Jesus is saying that the world cannot see this, the, the Holy Spirit. The world cannot see this gift, but you know him, for he lives in you and will be in you. Um... This actually, as I was 
just trying to think through this, like, yeah, why wouldn't God just make himself known to everyone? Um, I started thinking about, uh, I recently watched, rewatched the movie Arrival, and I don't know if you guys have seen it, but it's basically these 12 different um, pods with aliens land in 12 different places around the world, and the whole movie is the, the um, humans are going in and trying to figure out what these aliens want. And it's so fascinating because you find out that these aliens have a um, tool, a gift to give to mankind. And um, this gift is, in the movie, it's, langu it's, it's a language. It's a um, language that helps you see throughout time. Anyways what was so fascinating about it is they didn't just why I don't why couldn't they have just sent down the aliens um just broadcast their whole language in front of you know there were screens at the time they could have just gone to some screen and just blared it in front of them and then left that would have been so easy right but no they drop into 12 different places around the world and wait they don't come out of their pods. They literally just land and open their doors and give access for the humans to come up inside. They don't pursue the humans. They wait for them. And so um, Amy Adams, who's the linguist that the U.S. brings in, brings them up. And there's this whole process of them, you know, taking off the hazmat suits and saying their names and... There's this whole part of them just getting to know each other and learning to understand each other and um, trying to communicate and, you know, teach each other their language. And there's like this relationship that's built. And gradually over time, and granted at this time all of um, the different countries where the pods landed, they're all in communication with each other and they're like, oh, we got this part and oh, we got this part. Um... And then as soon as they say that they have something to give, and because their language didn't have the correct word for tool to use the word weapon, um, people start cutting off communication. Uh, but towards the end of the movie, Amy Adams realizes that um, at the end, the, a the aliens, the two aliens that they were interacting with, gave them a fragment of an entire map of their language just a fragment and turns out they left a fragment with each of the other pods and so it's this amazing moment where Amy realizes we need to be in contact with the other nations we can't be cutting each other off like, the only way that we are going to receive this, this, this gift, this language, this transforming language, is if we work together and share what we've been given with the other nations so that they, in turn, can share it with us. And then if we can all do that, we have the complete picture.
And it's so cool because um, before the aliens leave, they say, we have this gift for you. Use it. Learn it. Um, we think it will help you. And then three in 3,000 years, you guys will need to help us. And then they leave. And it's so beautiful because the aliens leave them with such a better gift than even that language. They leave them the the dire necessity to become united, not with their own nation, but with the world. And it just makes me curious, like, I think Jesus is trying to do the same thing for us. He's given us, he's given us this, this spark. He's given us this, this piece of truth that we can have and hold within us the Holy Spirit um, and he wants to start by transforming you by transforming my heart I am sitting here today with something to share because I went through the process of going through that transformation and being able to break down my walls and access that place. Um, but God's plan is so much bigger and so, so amazing. Um, I don't think God's plan is to change the world. I know that is so crazy to say, but from what Jesus is saying in these passages is all, you will, you, you'll be better off without me. I'm leaving you with this advocate. I'm leaving you with the promise that you won't be orphans. I'm leaving you with everything that you need. You have everything that you need and I'm going to leave so that you can find it, so that you can access it, that you're not leaning on me as a crutch. I'm, I'm here and I was showing you the way. I paved the path for you to do the exact same thing as me. What I had is now in you. You have the Holy Spirit, the spark within you. And now I want you to go out and share that spark with the world. So no, I don't think God's plan is to change the world. God's plan is to transform us so that we can go out with God in us and transform the world. What was so radical about that holy video, what was so radical about it was when he said that towards the end when Jesus said that the temple was now that, that we were now the temple. It shows how there's this river coming out of the temple and bringing everything back to life. And then how even um, in the end of times, the earth becomes the temple. And it's, it's, this is just, it's just, it's just spreading. I feel like right now we're at a place in time where um, 
it's kind of both, we're kind of in a mix between Old Testament and New Testament where, you know, some of us are walking around just unclean, unclean, making things unclean, touching, you know, we're, we're a mess, we're, we're bro broken and everything we touch just unclean. Um, but then you have others too who are transforming it back to unclean and it's just this battle of like, I love the imagery in there because it's like, you know, you touch it and it turns cold or you touch it and it turns light. And I think we're just in this constant battle of in with humanity and um, within ourselves of, you know, days where we're broken and we've we've let the light out and need to let it back in. But it's always there. It's just whether we're hiding it or not. And um, I just want to bring this all back together all back in to just, um, you can do miracles. What a miracle is and what it seems to be when Jesus was on earth and touching people and healing people was just that, like, he was making broken things new. He was taking something that was shattered and broken and sickly and bringing life back into it and making it beautiful and I don't see how that's much different than um, sitting down with a friend and letting all their crap come at you <laughs> and instead of letting it saturate you you take it in you let them put it all on you and then what happens is this this transform of you take their crap and you give them comfort. You take their suffering and you return with comfort. Um, it can be as simple as recycling. You take a piece of trash and turn it into a new, something new, some, a, car a new carrier or whatever you recycle it into. Um, and I think the best implication of this is art. Art is when you take your most broken experience and your heartache and your pain and your breakups and everything ugly in this world and you create a poem or a song or a sermon or um, a painting. Like, you are taking the most broken thing about you and from that pain and brokenness you create something beautiful. Something so beautiful and so deep that it can then touch others who are broken and help them see beauty and help them transform. And so I really don't think miracles are so um, far from our ability. I think we are made to create, to bring life to things. That is the God in us. Um, I was telling Seth about kind of where this is going and he sent me a quote that he came across in a um, book, uh, a novel actually. Um, and it says, I'm gonna pull it up real quick. Um, religion will walk 10 miles the other direction from something 
unclean or broken. Jesus would get as close as he could to that broken thing. Old Testament, New Testament. And now, that is what we do. We get as close as we can because it's no longer going to defile us. Now, granted, it depends on where you're at in your journey. Um, I don't, I think there are some things that can defile us if we let it, but um, if we're constantly doing the work, the, the, the cleansing of guilt, the, um, and this is not a one-time thing. This is a daily thing. Like I said, I hadn't been doing it, and so when I came to God this week and asked him to help me, like, it'd been a while, and I needed to do it again. I needed to access that place, and let the guilt go and for some people this takes their entire life and I'm not saying there's not breakthroughs but like it's not something that just happens um and then it's done but it's it's a process and I I think now God is asking us to do as Jesus did to get as close as we can to that brokenness and to be like him in his image and do great do do the things that he did and trans help transform that brokenness into healing and guys if that's not spreading the gospel if that's not following in jesus's way and doing as jesus did i i don't know what is you don't need to be a pastor you can work at a recycling center a counseling center, an art center, wherever you're at, just ask yourself, are you letting unclean things defile you or are you transforming?